and the Black family, I'm so happy to have you guys here again. Hope your week has been going well. This is another bonus episode. And you guys know I love to come on here and talk to you. And so I was researching um, a new story to do for our podcast in an effort to like be consistent. And I had an idea. I was like, you know what? All of our family doesn't listen to TikTok. There are some of you who listen to our podcast that do not listen to our TikTok. And so you're missing out on stories that we do on there weekly. And for the people who do listen to our TikTok and then come and listen to our podcast, it's a way of you getting like some more in-depth knowledge about the cases that we do. So I felt like, you know what? Let me cover some stories on our TikTok my favorite stories that we've done on TikTok, and let me put them on our podcast. So our story this week is about a woman named Josephine Gray. Josephine was born in 1946 in Maryland. We don't know much about her childhood, but we do know she had a difficult childhood. However, as she blossomed into a young adult, She was flamboyant, flashy, and outgoing. And she was attracted to the opposite of her personality, which I think can be true for most of us. Like if we have a super outgoing personality, we tend to attract quiet, calm, conservative personalities because that tends to balance us out. And at the age of 21, Josephine met a man named Norman Stribling, and they were married. And she began working as a janitor at Montgomery County Public Schools. Together, Norman and Josephine had five children. Now, in 1970, their relationship was sort of on the rocks, you know, trying to uh, maintain their relationship. But Josephine took an additional job cleaning offices. And that's when she met a man named William Gray. Now, he went, um, he was known by his middle name of Robert. So I will continue to call him Robert throughout this story. But Robert was outgoing. He loved his family. He was married. And he had six children when he met Josephine. And he loved his children and his wife. He just doted on him. That's how many described his personality. Robert was a true family man, and his demeanor quickly changed when him and Josephine started an affair. His wife, Frances, recounted that she suspected that Josephine was adding something to Robert's food because whenever he would consume the foods that Josephine would prepare for him, his personality was strangely and oddly different. However, when he stopped... His demeanor went exactly back to the normal family man that he was. And so there was something that was odd there. She knew, Frances knew something wasn't right with Josephine. Now, Josephine had a host of like different powders and seasonings and teas. And many suspected that she was involved in witchcraft and voodoo. But it wasn't confirmed at this particular time. It is unclear when Norman found out about the affair between Robert and Josephine. But when he realized that she was having an affair, of course, it had a detrimental effect on their relationship. 
and he wanted out. However, he was very scared of Josephine because at this point, he knew that Josephine was involved in witchcraft and voodoo because he saw spells that she had written out and incantations that she was performing. And so he was just very fearful of leaving her. And he told his family and friends about it. But on one night, he knew it was confirmed that Josephine was after him. He woke up to Josephine holding a gun to his head. And the only reason why his life was spared is because the gun misfired. However, those fears were realized on March 4th, 1974, when police found the body of Norman and he had a single gunshot to his head. Now, two witnesses came forward and claimed that Josephine offered them money to kill Norman. So with that evidence, two weeks later, police were able to arrest Josephine and Robert for the murder of Norman. However, charges were dropped when evidence wasn't recovered and witnesses failed to come forward and testify against Josephine. Police knew this was a clear indication of a witness intimidation. The two witnesses that came forward were so scared of Josephine and her witchcraft and her voodoo and all the incantation things that she was involved in that they wanted no parts of getting her arrested and her being put in jail because they knew something would happen to them as a result of her being involved in witchcraft and voodoo. And so as a result, they recanted their stories. And even though they knew that she was evil and that she committed this heinous crime against Norman, they wanted no parts of it. And so this didn't help the police, right? The police were, you know, caught in between a rock and a hard place. They didn't have the evidence to fully prosecute her. So as a result, the charges were dropped. Now, many said that Norman was under a spell. They said that at the time before he was uh, before he was found deceased, that she put a spell on Norman that would cause him to scratch his face uncontrollably. This is creepy, to say the least. Wouldn't you think so, guys? Like this lady clearly has something going on that's not right. But. She did take out a life insurance policy on Norman, and that life insurance policy paid out at $15,000, and that's equivalent to like $85,000 today. And Josephine used this as a, um, a means to purchase a new home, and her and her now fiancé, Robert, married just a year later after Norman was found deceased. In 1975, after Robert and Josephine were married, they quickly had a child together. It was Josephine's sixth child and Robert's seventh. And everything seemed to be going very well for them. Like their their married life was coming together. They had a child together. They were raising their children um, together. However, in the mid-80s, um, Josephine's cousin, Clarence Good, wanted to come and stay with her to get on his feet. He was coming from New York and he wanted to move to Maryland to create a new life. And Josephine immediately told her her family that she wanted him to come, that she would assist in taking care of him and ensuring that he would create a good life for himself. But Josephine did more than take care of her cousin. She started an affair with him. 
And as you can imagine, this had a devastating impact on her marriage with Robert because they were all staying in the same household as she was maintaining this affair with her cousin. And in the early 90s, the situation became extremely hostile. There was a situation that took place in the house where Josephine ran and chased Robert around the house with a gun. And in order to escape, he had to jump from the second floor window. And he immediately decided he was going to go and stay with his parents and eventually moved out because Josephine didn't want to stop this affair that she had going on with Clarence. Robert began to fear for his life. And in August 1990, Josephine came to Robert's job and assaulted him with a bat and a knife. He immediately went to the police and brought charges against her. However, the case was postponed to go to court until November. Now, Robert was driving one day and he noticed that Josephine was following him. And Josephine was in the car with Clarence and they pulled audaciously right beside him as he was driving. And Clarence pulled out a gun on Robert. And he avoided being shot only because he was smart enough to put the car into reverse. Now, once again, Robert reports this incident to the police. Now, what's interesting about this story is that we're noticing a pattern, right? Josephine gets married. She starts an affair. She kills one husband and gets them to, and gets the person that she's in an affair with to carry out the murder on said husband. And that's what's happening with Robert. But Robert is very in tune of what's going on, right? Because he participated in the murder that she carried out on Norman. So what Robert does is that he begins to go in and change the beneficiary on his life insurance policies because he knows, you know what, she may kill me. So he begins to change the beneficiary benefits. And so he rents an apartment and he just starts to get on his feet. You know, and a lot of his family said that the spell that Josephine had him under was officially broken. And they were looking forward to their father and their friend, like really coming into his own and getting back to his old self. But on November 9th, 1990, a week before they were due to go back to court for Josephine to answer to the assault charges against Robert, Robert was found shot in front of his job at an elementary school. He was shot two times, two shots to the neck, I'm sorry, and one shot to his chest. Now, the police carried out a six-month investigation, and they found, without a shadow of a doubt, that Clarence and Josephine were behind Robert's murder. And Josephine at that point, was recharged with Norman's murder. Once Josephine and Clarence were charged with Robert's murder and Josephine was recharged with Norman's murder and they were held in jail, many witnesses came forward. Norman and Josephine's children came forward to the police and told the police, hey, we know 
Josephine, our mother, killed our father. Here's what we know. And Robert's children came forward as well. And so there was just a lot of friends and family that did not believe that Josephine had nothing to do with it. They they knew that Josephine was involved in this murder, which I think is very telling um, about her personality and her character. Um, Many just knew that she was capable of murder. And she was held for a while on charges, but eventually was granted bail. And when she was granted bail, she, of course, did what she did in Norman's murder. She began to involve herself in witness intimidation. She began to um, harass uh, all the people that came forward uh, to be a witness in the case. And of course, this hurts um, the police's case against her, that these witnesses who are a part of their evidence start to recant their story. But the police knew that she was involved in witchcraft and voodoo because in 91, evidence was pre- was presented to prosecutors of a phone call that took place between Josephine and a voodoo doctor named Rosie Sims. And Josephine approached Rosie Sims about killing her husband, Robert, and she couldn't be found, though. Like, they never found Rosie Sims. So, like I said, once again, the prosecutor's case was significantly hurt because all of these witnesses either did not want, they either recounted their story, which made them unreliable witnesses, or like Rosie Sims, where they have this phone call of um, Josephine and Rosie Sims speaking about the murder then they can't find Rosie to testify. So the charges get dropped. Yes, you guessed it. They get dropped again. Now, I know you guys are probably thinking exactly what I was thinking and saying to myself as I was researching this case. How is it possible that Josephine was able to get away with not one, but two murders, have charges against her twice for her first husband's murder, and then charges against her for Robert's murder, and she got away with it. How is that possible? But I think what we have to consider is that prosecutors and the police are trying to garner enough evidence so that they are able to convict the defendant the first time. They're able to get a conviction of guilty the very first time that they try them, and they... they just didn't have enough evidence. You know, they could not control the way that the witnesses recanted their story. They couldn't control the fact that they could not find Rosie Sims. Like, they could not control that. And so I think we have to um, consider that as we're able to say at simultaneously, like, man, how is she just able to get away with this? So the question that I want to ask you guys this episode is, do you think that the police did everything they could like the first couple of times that they charged Josephine and then they dropped charges. Do you think they did everything they could? And even if they did, do you believe that still was to the detriment of the community? Um, Because when you wait and you're trying to collect enough evidence, the person can still strike, right? They can still carry out a murder because they feel like they've gotten or they were able to get away with the murder. So I want you guys to tell me what you think. Drop that, drop your answer in our comments on this episode. Now, as we said, Robert was privy to Josephine's pattern because he participated in Norman's murder. So he knew that 
there was a good chance that he was going to be murdered. So we talked about how Robert tried to go in and change the beneficiary off of his life insurance policy. And he was successful in changing it in some of his life insurance policies, but not all. Because after he was murdered, Josephine collected $50,000 from one of his life insurance policies. And she paid off her house and continued her relationship with Clarence. And everything was going well until it wasn't. Because many said that Josephine was completely controlling in all of her relationships, especially her relationship with Clarence. Clarence didn't have a key to their home. She controlled his access to money. It was a mess and it became miserable for Clarence. So in 1996, she threatened Clarence with a knife and ran him out of the home. And Clarence eventually just decided to call it quits with Josephine. And he wanted to start his life for himself. And he started to work as an armor at a armor car service as an employee. Now, there was a life insurance policy. It's unclear in my research if Josephine was paying on this life insurance policy or they were paying on it together. But there was a lapse in this life insurance policy because somebody stopped paying on it. So it was due to expire in a couple of weeks. Now, on June 21st, Clarence was found dead with a gunshot to his head with a nine millimeter handgun. And on this particular day, Clarence told his sister, I'm going to go and talk to Josephine. Now the police did their investigation and they found a nine millimeter handgun at Josephine's home. They also found a large blood stain in her garage. And they also found a vacuum cleaner that was used to like clean up the crime scene or what they believe was the alleged crime scene. But you guessed it. This wasn't enough evidence to even charge her with Clarence's murder. Now, y'all, I don't know where forensics was at the time um, in the late 90s, like where they were in terms of forensic technology. Um, And I'm just assuming a good assumption, (laughs) but I'm assuming that it wasn't Um, It hadn't evolved enough for them to be able to definitively say that this was Clarence's blood or that that nine millimeter handgun belonged to. It was the same gun that was used to kill Clarence. Okay, we're just going to we're kind of go out on a good guess with the police. Okay, and so she received because that there was a lapse in that life insurance policy that was on Clarence but it hadn't expired, she received $100,000 after Clarence was murdered. And she did what she always did. She started another relationship with another man. And this man's name was Andre Savoy. And he had no idea that his girlfriend had murdered three men. So the police said, you know what? We're going to do this totally different. We're going to get Andre. We're going to reach out to Andre and see if he will work with us to catch Josephine before she does anything else. And so they reached out to Andre and he is 
happy to help because he can't even believe that she was involved in these murders. But he's like, I don't want to be next. And so he cooperates with the police. Now, the police were able to indict um, and charge Josephine with wire fraud for the life insurance policy that she took out on clearance. That was considered wire fraud because there's a law in Maryland. It's called the Slayer's Bundle. And basically, it just means that you cannot take life insurance money if you've participated in the murder of the person who was on that policy. And so because of that, they were able to indict her on charges. And the police, I'm telling y'all, they got smarter this time. They actually held her in jail without bail. And because they did that, they were able to get enough witnesses to testify against her and not have those witnesses have to be intimidated by her. So this was a very good change in um, the police's actions so that they could really get enough evidence, keep enough witnesses to convict Josephine at her trial. So she goes to trial in 2002 where she maintains her innocence. She pleads not guilty, but the prosecutors were able to really present a solid case to the jury. They showed her as a master manipulator and they also showed that she actively participated in voodoo and incantations and witchcraft. She actually um, had a voodoo doll in her possession that had human hair. They found incantation spells and other things in her home. And, you know, she did the opposite. She tried to present herself as a woman of, you know, unfortunate events that all of her husbands and her lover passed away you know, just from a single gunshot wound. It had nothing to do with her. She was just a very kind mother of six with 11 grandchildren. But the jury, thankfully, at the end of three weeks, they were able to see right through Josephine's farce. They said that this was a lie, you know, but she's guilty. And she was charged not only with Robert Clarence and Norman's murder, but she was charged and um, convicted of being involved in wire fraud as well. And so for all of those charges, she was given 40 years to life as a sentence. Now, Josephine maintains her innocence. She says, you know what? I did not do this. And she even said that I'm not involved in voodoo or witchcraft. I believe in God and I'm innocent. I don't understand why anyone is trying to say that that I'm responsible for these murders. However, she tried to appeal her case in 2006, but thankfully her sentence was reaffirmed and she's currently in prison in Fort Worth, Texas, serving out her 40 years to life sentence. Now she's due for parole in February 26, on February 26, 2037, when she will be 91 years old. And that concludes the case of Josephine Gray. So, you know, here at Murder in the Black, like we always do, we have to talk about some of the takeaways from this case. What can we take away from this case? And I think that sometimes we often 
you know, think of things and stereotypes. Like we try not to, right? But um, there are just some stereotypes that we stick to. And we've talked about this here on Murder in the Black before with another serial killer, um, a man who was a serial killer who carried out all these heinous murders on women in his neighborhood. Um, It was a black man. But, you know, when it comes to women serial killers, we don't often hear about that. Like they're a small percentage in that category. And then it's an even smaller percentage percentage of serial killers who are women of color. And so Josephine Gray breaks the mold. And sometimes that happens, right? Like serial killers, exist in all forms. And even though they may be in a small percentage, they still exist. And so we can't count them out. And, you know, in this particular case, it's just so sad that Josephine was able to get away with the murders of these three men and that the police were unable to, for, you know, justify reasons or not, were unable to, um, charge her and convict her when she murdered Norman, um, charge and convict her and Robert both because Robert definitely participated in the murder of Norman and Clarence, who seemed to be, he was young, impressionable. And Josephine took advantage of that. Like not only did she cross the line and definitely participate in incest, but she definitely took advantage of Clarence and his vulnerability and his, you know, he was super impressionable and she took advantage of that and was able to kill Robert. And so you just see her bouncing back and forth from person to person and just manipulating them. And I think we often can say, oh, that would never be me. That would never be me. But the, the truth of the matter is, is that sometimes, you know what? It could be you. Given the right circumstances, the right environment, um, it could be you. And, and that's what happened to these men. And so I think you have to be also very careful that when you get involved in a relationship, that it's out of the right set of circumstances, right? You're not in a situation where you're participating in a relationship that has been birthed out of an affair. And that's what happened in all of these cases. But that you, you know, enter in relationships in the right way. But still, that doesn't necessarily keep you from necessarily being manipulated. So I think it's important, the takeaway that I take from this this episode, it's important to be on your guard always, right? You have to be on your guard always and be very discerning of people's character and their intentions. Now, as far as this voodoo witchcraft goes, you know, it's real, And I know a lot of people do not believe in it, but I believe in the spiritual world. It exists. And I definitely think it had a part to play in this story. So what do you guys think about the Josephine Gray story, the voodoo queen and serial killer? Leave your comments and tell me what you think. We will see you next week for another episode on Murder in the Black.